0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church located in Elk Point, South Dakota. So we're going to talk about uh, real church. Uh, we could say the real church, and you'll see what I mean by that in just a little bit. But I think of it in the sense of the true church and then also real church as far as the church being real, the church being authentic, uh, and not only in the sense of being true in the sense of biblical scripture and authority, but authentic in sincerity, authentic in love, authentic in purpose. And that's where these lessons go to. So it's there's the, the, the doctrinal side of the church, but then there's also the very practical side of the church as well. So we're going to begin today with... Colossians chapter number 1 verse 18 is going to be the verse that we kick off with today because when we talk about the church, this is a, a really, really key thing to understand and lay down, and it's this. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So this is really important, the head of the church. Who is the head of the real church? Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, and I know that's obvious, and there's going to be a lot of obvious things said to some of us, but, you know, I don't mind going over some of the, some of the basics sometimes. And I, uh, if, if we're not careful, and, you know, for, for Ryan and I, other teachers and preachers, sometimes you can almost feel apologetic if you're going over something that people have already heard before or known before. But I've tried to really get away from doing that because I believe it's, sound to, you know, review things that perhaps we've already learned, make sure that we've got the proper understanding and so forth. It reminds me of, you know, I think about uh, uh, Coach Lilly back there. I imagine Coach Lilly goes over a lot of fundamentals on a regular basis. Um, I I think about if if you've ever tried to coach kids at anything, whether it's your own kids or other kids, it's funny that if you try to get them in a gym or out on the field and you're trying to get them to go over the things they've done a hundred times, they're like, I don't want to do this, let's just play. But then it's something, then when you think about baseball, you know, just want to get out there and let's go over this real basic drill, this basic drill that that we we were doing this drill when we started in uh, coach's pitch. Well, there's no reason for me to do that drill. Now I'm in, you know, I'm in Legion Ball or whatever. I'm not going to do this. But then you turn on the television and you watch uh, a major league team warm up, and guess what they're doing? They're doing some of the same drills we were doing in T-Ball. Before the game, they're, they're doing the fundamentals. And so I never apologize, or I, try I have apologized, but I try not to apologize for talking about these things, but it's worth emphasizing again that Christ is the head of the church. So an overview of this entire series, again, that's going to be shared among many teachers, is that the New Testament church is a real, visible body of assembled believers, as we identify authentic church life throughout this series, it's important that we understand that Christ founded the church, that He's the only head of the church, and that He must have the preeminence in the church as we assemble and follow His leadership. So uh, those are a couple things that we're going to say in the way of introduction. One of the things I want to say is that when we talk- begin talking about the church... We're talking about something something that Jesus loves tremendously. We're talking about something that Jesus loves profoundly. And we know this because the Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. But I just want to back up and just pick up in the middle of that verse. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus Christ loves the church. And throughout the New Testament, Christ places a high priority on the local church. In these lessons, we will understand better how Christ designed the church to function, how we can love and invest in it, and how that we can be built up and enriched through the church as we grow up in Christ. The, world, the word church can mean different things to different people, can't it? What's some of the things that people think of when they think of church? I'm not saying necessarily in here, but maybe outside of here or, or maybe in here. What's some of the things that people think of when they think of church? Mass. Mass, yeah, for sure. Uh, they think of mass. They, that, that, that's church. Ron? Unfortunately, sometimes it's almost like a social. Yeah, absolutely. There's absolutely... Uh, um, I know of a... I know of a church, I, I, I know of a preacher that was trying to help out at a certain church, but uh, uh, he said it was a, he said the, the atmosphere was great at this church where he was helping out from, not far from here. He said, but the, the problem was, as he said, that uh, they really weren't interested in what we think of as Bible preaching and worship. It's just they love to get together, and, and we love to get together, uh, and it is a social time that we enjoy one another, and we ought to. But that is not the primary purpose. But that's correct. For some people, it is literally just a social club. What are some other ideas of church? Yeah, Nathan. Tradition. Yeah, tradition. Uh, Tradition. So what comes with that makes me think of something we have to do, something our church has always done. We we go to church. It's it's it just means tradition. What about for you, Kurt? Yeah, yeah, that, and these are all good because the, so many of these are are not the way we identify church—a chore or an obligation. Now, there's there's a there's a there's a level of obligation, but again, just like the social thing, that's not the main thing. But for some people, man, church is like oh, and therefore church is like I've done my service for God for the week, I've done my part. Uh, well, man, uh, that's not church because. You know, as we'll see with the real authentic way that Jesus meant for the church to function, man, this is life. This is encouragement. This is a blessing. But I want to I do want to say this. That doesn't mean that there's not times that we don't do that we may not do out of obligation in life, right? Um, if you've been married any amount of time, me, Melanie and I are going to be married coming up. We're coming up on our I believe it's a silver anniversary, 25 years. We're going to be married 25 years on uh, August the 2nd. Pretty excited about that. I think we'll probably order out some food and carry out. I don't know. There's uh, do something pretty wild, but we'll see. But I'm telling you, if you've been married any, any amount of time, there's times you'd, every, you don't get up every day. Uh, maybe Nicole still is. But you don't. You generally don't get up every day saying, "Man, I'm going to do what I'm going to do for this person," because I'm just I'm just so emotionally overwhelmed with love for this person right now. That's not the way marriage works. Over the period, it's worked that way for 25 years. I, wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, by the way, pray for Melanie. She's just not feeling well this morning. But uh, but the, but the point is that sometimes you do things out of obligation as a parent, as a, in relationships. But again. If that's, if that's the only way you're living your life, then there's issues there. So, uh, so absolutely, there's, there's some people that it's just an obligation, it's just a must, it's just something you have to do. Uh, any other thoughts on church? One other thing i throw out there that, that's a big one, that, uh, and we get this, and again, you can see that there's elements of all these things that are true. For instance... What about when people say, uh, oh, you should see our church, right? Uh, For some people, church is the building. Uh, The the church is a monument for a lot of people. Uh, And so it's just like, hey, this is is our, you ought to come see our church. But I'm glad that, and and people compliment us all the time, and I, I would never correct anybody when they say, oh, wow, I love what you've done to the church because we know in our vernacular, we know this is our church. Uh, you know, but in the real sense of the word, when I say, oh, you ought to see my church, I could bring up pictures of y'all. Say, see, this is my church. This is, this is the group of people that, that, that we've committed together, being called out together to do something for Christ. So, so church can mean a lot of different things to different people. The New Testament church is local, visible assembly. The emphasis of the New Testament is placed on the local church. This is the place where we gather with a body of believers to grow, learn, worship, give, and serve. I've got an objective with the lesson today, okay? Understand, whenever you get up to teach and preach on the church or any other thing, there's there's obviously a lot of ways you can go. I've got an objective, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm... I'm trying to maybe not go as far down this road, but I do want to say because it's important as we talk about real church that uh, I believe it's ignorant to say that, well, okay, let me back up here a little bit. So uh, there is no question that those who are saved by the grace of God are a part of the church in a sense, right? They're a part of the body of Christ. Um, but what you got to understand is that like 95% of the time, I believe it's closer to 98 that when there's a reference to a church, it's talking about the church at Corinth and the church at this place. The, the, the biggest reference is to local visible bodies. And that's why, that's why we put so much emphasis on the local visible body. On the times when there's a, a broader emphasis, um, you know, I, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't scare me. But what's happened, if I feel like, or what happens a lot of times is that it seems like 95% of the times these days, in, in some cases, 95% of the time, people are trying to emphasize that, that collective body of believers, and then maybe 5% of the time emphasizing the church, the local church. Because everybody likes the idea of being a part of the church, but the, 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 the New Testament teaching and picture... You look in the New Testament, so much of what we do is connected. Every time we're studying one of these New Testament epistles, in, not every time, but in most cases, it's referring to, okay, because we, we, we get in there and we study the teaching, okay, this is how you ought to live, or this is what God wants you to do, what, what He doesn't want you to do. But it's interesting that it's usually being taught in the context of the local church, the visible body. And... So that's the, the church is a local, visible body. It's a place where believers grow, learn, worship, give, and serve. Now, two things I'll acknowledge here. Number one, there's, there's always extremes on both sides of issues. Same way with the church. There's those that almost turn the church into something that they worship, almost into an idol in and of itself. And because of that, some have swerved the other way and have no use for a local church. I don't need the local church. I don't need, uh, you know, I, I, I'm just a part of, I'm part of the church, but I don't need that. Well, it's like, well, if you're not a part of the local church, where do you exercise your spiritual gifts? Man, I, I tell you, I'm, uh, this isn't off base here, but, but this is just getting way ahead of myself. God wants us to... God has gifted every single person that's ever been saved. Every person that's saved. Everybody in here has a spiritual gift. That spiritual gift... Now, that's not to say that your spiritual gift can't be used outside of the local church, but you've been gifted with that spiritual gift to help be a part of the body of the local church and to make a difference in that sense. And I had this thought sitting here one day... I, somebody else must have been teaching or preaching that day, but I had the thought, and what I was imagining was the church as a body. And the body, as we know, works best when the whole body's working together, right? We, we know that. Uh, some of us ha- have experienced where there are certain parts of our bodies that aren't quite working right or whatever, and it, and it causes issues. Well, uh, the, the church works best when the whole body... But I I started thinking about this, though. I started thinking about the remarkable people. Have you ever seen people without arms, or maybe without a hand, without legs, and, and you see how well they're able to function. Um, you know, there, there was a guy, I think he may have ended up winning, state. he may have even won a, a national wrestling deal. I can't remember, but he was doing very well as a wrestler, and he had no legs whatsoever. He didn't have legs. And, and, and you know, you've seen, I've seen other people without arms, or, or without arms or legs, and, you're, and they live, and they function, and they, they, they make a way. And I started thinking about that, and I'm probably going to do this sometime, but I'm telling you, I feel like for churches, e- even some churches that are doing well, I feel like that's what they look like. I feel like they look, I feel like they're doing well, they're functioning, wow, look, they're, they're driving, they're doing everything else, but I saw a, a dude that, uh, uh, a NASCAR mechanic, I mean, he, he works for a major team, and if I remember right, he doesn't have arms, But he helps build engines and works in NASCAR and so forth. Drives a sweet Impala. No arms. But I feel like too often that's how a lot of churches are. Wow, look at them. They're functioning. They're going well. But then you just think, man, they really are doing well. But how much better could we do as a church and local churches could do if everybody in the church said, you know what? I'm committed. God's given me a spiritual gift. I'm going to exercise that gift within this body. So, uh, so, so the, it's, it's, a, it's a local visible body, people worshiping, serving, uh, giving, uh, learning, growing together. Uh, it's comprised of a regenerate membership. Uh, members of a local church should be saved people who know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now that does not mean, and to me this is where some people that, that can overemphasize the local church, They almost sound like if you're a member of the church, you're you're automatically saved. You can can join a church and not be a Christian, but you can't can't join this church without at least professing to be a Christian. doesn't mean you're a Christian, but the church, in in the true sense of the word, uh, the church is made up of those that are saved we we don't knowingly or willingly allow people to become members of the church that do not yet know Christ as their savior this is by the way one of the one of the big problems that arose from catholicism and then later even protestantism i, I remember i remember it was shocking to me as a young person now and since then i've Learned a few more things and I'm still learning some things but I remember as a young person I was saved at the age of 16 and I believe it was probably Within that year. I was learning about the great awakening at school and you can imagine now. I'm now I'm saved and I'm a Christian. I was excited to learn about the great awakening. I'm like wow, this is cool But what you know, what blew my mind about the great awakening uh, You know, I, I think about uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know ma- major factor there in the great awakening and he would. Anybody remember the name of his famous sermon? He would preach. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. An angry God. Uh, and by the way, if you ever think that, uh, if you ever, th- if you ever hear me preach and say, "Preach," I'm pretty sure you preach that for her. Jonathan Edwards preached that message all over the country, man. And God used that for the Great Awakening. He just preached that same message over and over. He, that's not the only message he preached, but I'm just telling you. So, but but here's the thing that shocked me. And, and I started just being put put together in my mind the place where he first started seeing major converts after preaching that message was in the church membership, church members getting saved and I 'm talking about vast majority now just hold on a second. why? Because he was a Protestant, and so since he was a protestant the the members of that church had been sprinkled or poured on, uh, you know, quote-unquote baptized as infants. Therefore, they basically were born members of that church, you know, later confirmed in the whole thing. But at what point did they trust Christ? Well, that that, that was something that was lost in the shuffle and still gets lost in the shuffle in, in churches like that. So therefore, you have whole churches whose memberships Sure, they were raised in a Christian home. Sure, they were uh, baptized, quote-unquote, as an infant. And i say, quote-unquote, because baptism means to immerse. Um, but, But baptized as an infant, confirmed. But it's like, okay, okay, okay. But at what point did you get saved? When did you trust Christ? So therefore, what happened is you have a lot of people that have never trusted Christ as Savior that just become members of the church. Guess what else happens? Those same people... Oftentimes, wonderful, wonderful people. I'm not. am not uh, saying anything about the character of these people. I'm just saying they're 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 born in some sort of church. They're baptized. They're brought up. They're confirmed. They live their lives. And, and and guess what happens with some of those same people? Now, listen. We've not talked about being saved yet, and they've not been saved. But then they go off to seminary. And they become pastors. Good career. And a lot of these uh denominations you know you get you get a house you get a salary you got an opportunity to move up and so you, you 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 get to become a pastor now you have pastors in the pulpit who have never been saved they were baptized they were confirmed they've been in church their whole life never been saved now how do you ever get frustrated you think man i don't understand how that pastor gets up there and and never tells people how to be saved never tells people about a personal relationship with christ how could he how could she? They have no personal relationship with Christ. They were in the same situation as those that Jonathan Edwards preached to with sinners in the hands of an angry God. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the thing that I'm just trying to point out is just simply that the church is, is, is ideally made up of people who are saved by the grace of God. That's, that's why before someone becomes a member of the church, it's like, well, do you know Christ? P- people come to, oh, Pastor, I want to become a member of the church. A oh, wonderful Tell me about when you, when you trusted Christ. Tell me about when you accepted Christ as Savior. Um, and then by that point, by the way, the burden of proof is on them. Can somebody say, oh, yeah, I got saved when I was 30, 40, 50, 16, 12, whatever, and, and become a member of this church? Absolutely they can. Uh, becoming a member of this church doesn't make you saved or a Christian, but ideally the church is supposed to be people, you read it there in the book of Acts, is a very good qualifier. Those that believed, so they believed, And then they were baptized. And we'll talk about baptism a little bit later. But baptism is something that we should do before we become a part of a local church. It's something that we should, it's a step of obedience. It doesn't have to do with whether a person is saved or not. But so one thing, it's a local visible body. It's comprised of regenerate church membership. It's separate from the state. It's separate from the state. Now, uh... Some people uh just so you know uh, that there's there's a lot of churches because of that uh, because uh, technically we we are a 501 three c Yeah, c three whatever all right, so people get real nervous about that, oh my goodness, you're registered with the state well that means the state could come in at any time well number one, it doesn't mean that but number two if it if it somehow came to that, you know because we, we had a guy that would come here sometime man you're you're', you're 501 C3, I want to say 3C, C3PO, I can't, but whatever it is, um, as you can tell, that's not my end of, uh, things, all right, but he's like, man, I can't believe you are that way, you're under the, you're under the state, we're not under the state, um, and, and, and I, like I told him, I said, for, for one thing, dude, I was like, the state is not sending us things of what we can do, what we can't do, what I can preach, what I can't preach. And guess what? The moment, that if that were to ever happen, guess what happens? I do what God says and I don't give a rip. And you know what I'm saying? So, uh so there's some people that get a little bit mixed up on that. But, uh, but, but the thing for sure is that the church is separate from the state. Now that does not mean... Uh, And I'm not going to get all into that. We talk enough about separation of church and state, uh, which is not in the Constitution and which is not in uh, the Bill of Rights. uh, Separation of church and state. And when you do find the writing and the mention from Thomas Jefferson about the the separation of church and state, I'm all for it. As Christians, we're 100% behind the biblical and, and, and I'm sorry, the, orig- the biblical and the original meaning of separation of church and state, which was literally that a state cannot basically run a church, and that there's not going to be a state-sponsored religion to where you have to be a part of a certain church um, in order to be a citizen in good standing. Um, and, and it's still that way in some countries, by the way, and many of the colonies. It, that was a requirement in some of the colonies by the way. if you weren't a part of a certain church then you were not a you were not truly a citizen with full rights in that colony but but anyway, separation of church and state did away with all that but this certainly does not mean that we can't be involved in the political process the the, establish, the establishment clause has nothing to do with that. I'll just tell you it's just saying that the state can't make and try to become the church like that's what, the church, that's what we came to America to start with. That's a whole nother lesson, I suppose. But just to say that the church is under the direct authority of Jesus Christ Himself. He is the head of the church. Thus, the church must be autonomous. In other words, autonomous just means free from outside control and free to answer to Christ. Jesus Himself is the head of the church. Some of the conventions, I mean, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, for instance, which um, we are not Southern Baptists. We have never been Southern Baptists. Some of us are Southern and we're Baptists, but we are not Southern Baptists, uh, all right? But I'm telling you now, I know with, with, in light of some of the things that's come out about the Southern Baptist Convention uh, in recent weeks, I mean, I'm totally uh, against all of that. Uh, cover ups of, of, of abuse and harassment and things of that nature one hundred percent, but as a general rule, when the Southern Baptist Convention and other Baptist conventions were started, it was started with with a good purpose in mind they were just trying to be organized they were just trying to blah blah blah. but what began to happen is that some of the uh, as these uh, entities grew, they began to exercise authority more authority and this ain 't the case in every Southern Baptist Church or whatever other kind of Baptist Church. But in some cases, the Southern Baptist Church uh, Convention would try to exercise authority in local churches. And it was never meant to be that way. Folks, the author- if you want to see the authority of this church, number one, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, that's what our gods are, then look around. Now, the Bible does say that a pastor has a, a measure of authority as the under-shepherd under Christ... But the, but, but the authority is to try to make sure that we stay under Christ's leadership. That's the goal all the time, um, is to make sure we're under Christ's leadership. But, uh, but, but, but with the conventions and so forth, this church, there's nobody from the outside that can come in here and say, okay, here's the material you're going to be using for the next six months. Here's what you can say. Here's what you can't say. Here's what you can do. Uh, there's no outside uh, entity that has any control over this this building or the people within this building uh, as far as the church is concerned, okay? So those are a few things about what a New Testament church looks like. Um, Jesus is the direction, well before I get any further, are there any questions on that mouthful that I just spit out there? Any questions, comments, clarifications? Yeah, Doria. Yeah, and I'm getting there. I'm getting there uh, to mention that the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. That's what we. Uh, that's what we're about: standing on the truth, preserving the truth, per, uh, perpetuating the truth. All right, so um, Acts chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight. The Bible says, "Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves," and this is Acts twenty twenty-eight. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock of God. Now here he's talking to the elders or the the, the pastors, the overseers. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the emphasis there is the church of God. The church is God's church. Obviously in this verse he's speaking about overseers. That's speaking to the pastors. But again, the church is not the pastor's church and it's not a board's church and it's not anybody. It's the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the local church is not ours. It is his. Uh, we are owned by Christ. He called us out. We belong to him. We owe our loyalty and love to the Lord Jesus Christ. If he loved us, the way husbands are supposed to love their wives, that means we ought to love Him. Amen. And, and, and aren't you glad? You ever just, it's important sometimes that we don't get so used to biblical terminology. We've heard husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it uh, so many times, but, but I, don't, I don't know if we always stop and think to remember, well, why did He use that? He. He could have used other things to illustrate the relationship between him and the church. But what he wanted to use was the way husbands are to love their wives. Because he's just saying, I love you. This is a relationship. I want you to love me back. I want us to grow together. That's the picture of love that he wants us to have. Because I'm telling you, that's why at the heart of the church, no pun intended, with the heart of the church, but it ought to be love, right? Right? It ought to be love. It ought to be love for Christ, love for one another, love for lost souls. Have you ever been in a church? Now, I'm talking about now all of us can, can, our love can, we can have misplaced affection, each one of us as individuals. But have you ever been a part of a church to where culturally and collectively it seemed like the the affection of the church began to be misplaced? And, And here's what I mean by that. There's a problem. Here's a good way you can tell when the affection of a church has been misplaced. Who are we loving? What are we caring most about? Are we loving one another? Here's a big one. Okay, let me back up on that one just a second. Are we loving one another? Not just all the ones that are doing, crossing their I's and dotting their T's. said that on purpose. Uh, not just, Bowen, don't believe me, but not, not just on those but uh, are we loving one another? Are we loving the ones that aren't here this morning and weren't here last week? Are we loving them? Are we just loving the faithful? Are we loving one another? Uh, but then there's the, there's the second thing. Are we loving lost sinners? Because I've seen it to where it seemed like people love their standards and love their holier-than-thou-ness. just made that word up. Uh, more than sinners. And they feel like their obligation is more to be condemning towards sinners because they're so great. In other words, their, their affections have been misplaced. When the church has a judgmental attitude toward the lost, uh, their affection has been misplaced. When a church has a judgmental attitude toward each other, their affections have been misplaced. And so that's something that we must guard against. We love one another. We love one another. I think there, there's, some, there's some good practical principles that, that apply to marriage as Christ loved the church that, that can help us as we love one another and love the church. I heard it the other day talking about this. Let's get back to marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay? Uh, can you think of anything at all negative about your spouse if you're married? No. no it's, it's, it take, just, I'll give you a minute. I'll give you a minute, okay, uh, to think if you can come up. Here's the thing. If we're being honest, I would be interested on the average relationship, and I say that to try to excuse myself, um, but uh, to, to try to excuse myself. But I wonder what the ratio is. Is it, is it 10 to 1, negative to positive? Is it more? Is it less? One thing's for sure. I, I think seldom, now just bear with me, in the majority of relationships, you could probably name at least. Is 10 to 1 safe? 10 negative to 1 positive. Is that safe or is that too much? Too low? That's too much for you. Okay, well, I don't, don't, I don't talk to you yet. I'll get to you on the next side of the point. Is it too much? 5 to 1. Can we live with that? 5 to 1? Does anybody think, like, we'll go five to one, because that's still a lot. I mean, that's uh, five to one negative versus one positive. But here's the thing. Uh, maybe this isn't the case in, Kurt, in, in Kurt's situation. But I would dare say, I'm just going to dismiss Kurt from this, because maybe it just, we, we know Kim's wonderful, so it's probably the other way around, okay? But the point that I'm just trying to make is this. Yeah, we can come up to ten, ten to one, five to one negatives on our spouses if we really wanted to. But what if we intentionally just say, you know what, instead of that though, any time we start thinking about those negatives, what if we just said, you know what, I'm going to try to think about some positives instead. I'm going to try to think about some positives. I'm going to dwell on those positives. Uh, And I'm not going to dwell on those five things. I'm going to dwell on this one thing, and then I'm going to try to think of five other things. Because they're there. They really are. They're there somewhere, and then some. That's... Because that's, I'm telling you, if you're just always looking for the negative in anybody, and especially your spouse, you're going to have a long, sad marriage, or a very short, sad marriage, depending on how you look at it. But you can't just focus on the negatives. And I'm just bringing that back to the church. One way that we can keep on loving each other is that you don't focus on the negatives. Does anybody in church don't answer this one? Anybody in church ever get on your nerves? Um, if nothing else, I will. I, 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 you know, I can get on your nerves. Nobody else does, especially for those that have to actually work with me and depend on me for. Hey, pastor, will you let me know something? Something. A week later, hey, pastor, you ever find, I forgot? I'm so. I, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I think. I think if, if if some of the people that have to work with me could have me flogged sometimes, they probably would. Um, and I, I, they, they aren't, they're too gracious for that, but, but we can get on each other's nerves and, and, and we can find negatives if we look for them, but why don't we just try to look, focus on some positives for each other. Um, so anyway, loving the church, making sure that we love the church, like Christ loved the church. Christ does love the church. Um, a couple of things, boy, Doria mentioned me not getting to the church, church, being the pillar and ground of truth, considering I hadn't turned the page yet. Uh, there's going to be a lot of things I don't say today. One of the challenges, I, I, I told this to Ryan, and I'm really trying, I'm, and I'm, I'm really going to try to commit to it. Uh, you know the way I like to do. And as a pastor, I have the luxury of doing this to where I will take my time in a passage because I believe it's important to grasp it and to get it and to whatever. So, and, and that's all well and good. But at the same time, I'm trying to challenge myself a little bit and see, can I... Give a thought, can I get up here one Sunday and give this introduction to real church Uh, and not say, okay, you know what, I'm stopping here, picking it up next week, I'm just going to put in there what I can, finish what I can, give the best summary I can, summaries are not my strengths, and then I'm turning it over and we're going the next week, but so I'll just give you, continue to give you what I can, but throughout this series, hopefully some of these things will be emphasized once again. Ah, oh, boy. Well, I guess I just mentioned this. Uh, the authority of the church. We know Jesus Christ. We said He's the head of the church. The authority of the church. What is the... What's the sole authority? S-O-L-E. The sole authority for our faith and practice. The Word of God. That's right. And that's true. It really is the sole authority. And that, that doesn't mean, you know... That's why we start at 945, you know. Right? I mean, I, 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 I'm telling you, some Baptists try to do that kind of stuff, do they not? It seems like. Everything they do has to be because that's what God said, you know. And, uh, but, uh, but no, I mean, so, so therefore we have traditions. But when it comes to what we stand on, what we preach, we, uh, the Bible is our authority. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't tell us we've got to meet at 945 to start Sunday school on Sundays. It doesn't tell us we've got to do that. Um, it, by the way, Sunday, the word Sunday school is not in the Bible, right? Uh, for people that get so caught up on well, that's not even in the Bible. Well, Sunday school is not in the Bible, but teaching is in the Bible. Um, so, but it, but it does have to be at 945. It does have to be, you know, but, but that's, uh, that's just the tradition that we kind of have. Um, 945. But when it comes down to things that matter, 945, number one, we're not told to do that in Scripture, but we're not told not to do that in Scripture. So therefore... We are technically kind of have a little tradition with that. But when it comes to really what we believe, what we preach, what we emphasize, our authority is Scripture. I've had people ask me before, and earlier I was mentioning Protestant churches. We're not Protestant, the the true New Testament church is not Protestant because Protestants came from the Catholic Church. The, The Catholic Church was never and has never been the true New Testament church. The Catholic Church, you know, developed, you know, with Constantine in 3, you know, what was it, 310, 312, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, that's when the Catholic Church uh, began to change its paganism over to being Christian and calling itself a church. Um, and then the Protestants came along after that. But the whole time, from the time uh, of the, the, the start of the church, there's always been local New Testament churches. Have they always been called Baptist? I've got a problem, by the way, with... Uh, I've got a problem with some Baptists. I've got a problem with a lot of Baptists. And there's a lot of Baptists that got a problem with me too. How about that? Uh, but I was thinking about this. Have you, ever, uh, have you ever seen, I feel like some preachers miss, I've said jokingly before that when Jesus was going to get baptized, he didn't go to John the Presbyterian. And he didn't go to John the Methodist. He went to John the Baptist. <laughs> I've said that jokingly. Because, but, but here's my problem. I feel like there are some preachers that have tried to do that to really try to say, see, Jesus was a Baptist. Well, he didn't call himself a Baptist. The first, what did the first churches call themselves? Yeah, Ecclesia, the church the called out assembly, but, but that's almost a trick question. What'd you say, Richard? Followers. Followers. But most of the time, they were called Christians. They were, called Christians. They were the, the way, they were called the way, they were called Christians. They were called whatever people called them. And, and I'm just saying all that to say people get so hung up on ba- the Baptist name and sign. Sorry, I don't. Uh, oh, that's blasphemy, right? Uh, why? From the Bible, tell me why that's blasphemy. Well, because traditionally, don't you know the price that? Ba- yeah, I know the price, and I appreciate it. I really do. But they weren't ca- They were finally called Baptists. We were finally called Baptists by our enemies. Uh, you know, during the, during the midst of the great reformation, by the way, you want to know who some of our enemies were? The reformers. Do you know there's reformers that killed or at least approved the killing of the Anabaptist or other New Testament believers during that time? Zwickley, uh was one. He was a, he was a major reformer. Uh, man, he, he was, he was actually actively involved in the death of Baptist preachers back in the day. He was a reformer. He was a Protestant. Um, But again, the the, the name, that's a a tradition, by the way. One of the big problems I have with Baptists is that Baptists can be just as bad as anybody about teaching taking the commandments of men and teaching them for doctrines. Baptists can be just as bad as anybody about doing that. But if they're staying true to the Word of God, because on the other hand of that, does that mean every church that says it's Baptist is some kind of New Testament church? No, I I would argue that, that half of them probably aren't holding true to the, to the truths of the New Testament. But that's a whole other battle to fight. I've been all over the place this morning, but that's what I'm known for. But, 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 the, but, the, but the, the, the Baptist, that's, that's the, the name, but um, I'm telling you, I just don't, from a scriptural standpoint, there's no reason to make a huge deal about that name. Um, Jesus' name is the name to make a big deal about. Now, the local church uses the Scriptures our sole authority. By faith and practice, all right? Uh, You've heard me say this before, but I I didn't realize that perhaps it originated with Charles Spurgeon. Maybe, maybe not. But there's a quote that he said. He said, "If if I had never joined a church till I had found the one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. And the moment I did, the moment that I did it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it. For it would have been a perfect church after I be, it would not have been a perfect church after I became a member of it. Still and perfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. You know, the problem with the church a lot of times is the church is made up of people, people like me, and people like some of you, uh, it's made up of us, and we have problems. And we have shortcomings, and we have failures, and we have all that stuff. The toughest thing about the church, we're commanded to love one another. you got you got to try get you, you probably it's best to try to get along with people that you work with, but you're not really commanded we're we from, from Christians, but you're not commanded by your boss. Hey, so you come in and love everybody now? Church is a, a different, isn't it? we we're, we're to love each other. Well, and so drives me crazy, they get on my nerves they blah 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 again, okay. But here's the thing, man. I love the church. I really do. The challenge is, if you stay in church any, any amount of time, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get frustrated with somebody. If you stay in church any amount of time. The best church out there, if you're in that church any amount of time. Oh, I wish I could have been a part of one of those early New Testament churches we read about in the Bible. They didn't get along either. And, and, and you, talk, you talk about, you think, you think about Corinth. You know, people get hung up on something, you know, wow, I don't, I don't know, are we, uh, are we doing that exactly the way they did it there in the New Testament? Well, were they in Corinth? Were they in Galatia? Were they in Colossae? You know, it's like you, you, you do what you can, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, if you're in church any amount of time, you're going to get frustrated with somebody along the way. There's a very, very, very good chance if you're in church any amount of time, you're going to get hurt. Very good chance of that. Now, intentionally or not, uh, why? Because there's people in church. There's people in church. Now, I feel like I can say th- two things certain, certain with certainty. Number one, I have never wanted to hurt anybody. I've never intentionally. I believe I can say that with confidence. I've never intentionally hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, close to 30 years of being a part of a, of a local church. But I guarantee you I've hurt dozens. Matter of fact, I can look back on some where I know I've hurt. And I'm generally not a very mean guy. Uh, but I know I've hurt people. Uh, and, and that's the thing. But, but the, the, the point is, is that the church is not perfect. And the church will not be perfect this side of heaven. So what do we do? We keep loving one another. We keep forgiving one another. Hey, it's okay, to, it, it's okay sometimes to say, hey, you know, uh, I got to tell you, Ralph, that was a little offensive to me, you know, if Ralph offended me. I got to be careful because he's going to think he offended me. Uh, I picked the wrong person, Ralph, sorry. Uh, but, uh, but it's okay to say, Ralph, can I, t-? you know it's okay to say? It's okay to come to me or anybody else and say, number one, and, man, I'm, I wish I could, you could see my notes. I, I didn't get to the pillar and ground of truth and a whole lot of other things. But, but these are some practical things that I always try to tell people, and you've heard me say them before as a pastor, uh, about giving people the benefit of the doubt. But you know one of the things that I believe helped me early on as a, as a younger Christian? I heard the Primitive Quartet. I don't know if you ever heard the Primitive Quartet or not, but I, I like the Primitive Quartet. And, uh, and they sang a song, and I think it was an older song that before they sang it, but, but it was, Go and Tell Jesus on Me. When my faults and failures you see, if you are my brother, don't go tell another, go and tell Jesus on me. Hey, I tell Jesus on some of y'all. You want to know that? I do. I go tell you. Now, Lord, let me tell you, Ralph's at it again. I should pick on Ralph. And Lord, you've got to do something. God, I'm t- he's, I mean, go tell Jesus. G- I want you to tell Jesus on me. I really do. Go tell, but don't go tell somebody. It makes no sense whatsoever for me to say, you know what, I've really got a problem with Richard. Hey, Bud, i got a problem with Richard. Well, what's Bud got to do with that? Right? No. If you're my brother, don't go tell no, go tell Jesus. So I go tell Jesus. But now here's the thing. Here's just a, a simple, simple principle I've lived by. I'll go and tell Jesus on you if something's bothering me. Maybe you said something, maybe you did something. I'll just go tell Jesus. Lord, that wasn't right. That wasn't right what they did. They shouldn't have said that, or or they should have done this and they didn't. They told me they were going to do this and they didn't. Lord, I got to tell you. But now, but what if that's not good enough and it's just still kind of there? And I, you know, then I can come and say, hey, brother, can we talk? Now, you said this the other day, or you did this, or you didn't do that. Is this what you really meant? Was this, you know, I, I felt like you were. Putting me down there, where is that what you were trying to do? And by the way, what I found out in most of those cases is, 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 people's eyes will get real big and be like, "Oh my goodness, no! Oh my goodness, no!" In other words, so much, some stuff. There's so much. Oh my goodness, there's so many things that could be avoided. So much church hurt. Now again, there's sometimes the initial hurt, but we let stuff fester. Yeah. Forget. Go tell Jesus. Forgive people. Talk to. If Listen, if there's a person involved, talk to that person or nobody at all. Now, I know that there may be some exceptions to where maybe you're not sure how to approach it. You know, and, and I've had people, and I believe justly so, come to me and say, Pastor, I, I do have a problem with somebody. How, how should I address it? And um, And now... Now what's coming to mind is things that are like, you know, if there's criminal acts, if there's egregious acts, things like that, now that's different. You know, because sometimes they say the pastor is the last to know. I mean, if there's just somebody living in gross immorality, (laughs) that's not the type of thing that you just say, oh, well, shucks. You know, no, we're not talking about that kind of stuff, okay? Um, And we're certainly... We're certainly not talking about uh, any type of uh, you know harassment or abuse situations, uh, and I just want to tell you this right now uh, that uh, that if there's any sort of abuse and I hear about it, I'm telling it. I'm telling it, uh, and uh, and and that that that's just something I that that. that, that Right now today, I'm just telling you, if there is abuse of a child or something to that fact, you better believe I am telling it. Well, pastor, what about the reputation of the church? What about the reputation of the church? You know, it's a relative of mine. It's going to ruin their name. It's going to hurt them. Doesn't matter. We don't fool around with that stuff. Um, You know, uh, harassment, things of that nature. You don't mess around with that stuff. Um, and that's one of the reasons that we, uh, try to guard ourselves, uh, against that as, uh, you know, especially, especially anybody that's in, in any kind of leadership, teaching, and And I try to, try to guard myself against any, any place of, uh, number one, when it comes to, to women, uh, not children, uh, but when it comes to women, I try to put my, not put myself in a t- place of temptation. All right. Um, but when it comes to like children and that, I'll try to put myself in a place of protection. And what I just simply mean by that is just simply, uh, I've, uh, I've been asked to do Bible studies with, uh, with teenage girls before. Um, and I'm just like, okay. Um, and I'm talking about ones that had questions about joining the church, baptism, things that I would do. And usually I would want, okay, parents, can you be there? Uh, but if they can, and, and Ryan can tell you this, but it's just like, okay, uh, yeah, I can do that. Hey, Natalie, can you come up to church? Hey, and bring your friend with you. And uh, and we're going to sit back at that back table. And Ryan's back over here doing this. And Atreyu is over here doing this. In other words, you just try to put yourself in a place to where there can't be even, when I say protection, I just mean even the slightest misunderstanding or accusation. Uh, We try to make sure that we are above the fray to where it's like, nope, if there's an accusation, I was never, there was never even an opportunity for that. Therefore, the accusation, you know, there's a protection there. Um, but saying all that to say, when it comes to the bigger things, that's one thing. And I think I'm saying a lot of that more. Some of you may not be aware of what recently came out with the Southern Baptist Convention, but, it was, but it's not just Southern Baptist. It is Independent Baptist, and it's other churches as well that have hidden and covered up uh, abuse and harassment. And, uh, I'm saying some of these things to say that we're 100% against any of that business. Um, as far as the, the act or the cover up and then, uh, but then just to come back to this simple point from day to day basis, the point is, is we're just fallible people that we need to learn to forgive each other, be patient with one another, forgive one another. Uh, so the church isn't perfect, but praise God, Jesus loves the church. We ought to love the church. Amen. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> you see me turning all these pages? Uh, it's hilarious. Uh, I, I knew as soon as I, I looked at this lesson, I'm like, this is, this is, this is funny. Um, but if we don't take anything else away, that church is the pillar and the ground of truth. The church is... Headed by none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. The authority of the church is the word of God. Uh, the, what, what, the, what the church is, is the church at. Again, 95 or over 95% of the times that the word church is used in the New Testament, it's talking about the church at someplace. It's talking about a visible local church with a pastor, with members that are functioning together as a body. And God's way, as we'll see as we continue through this lesson, the work that God Jesus Christ started way back then is the work that He wants to do through the local church. You know, we pray God for moves of God, don't we? You ever prayed like this? I can remember years ago, and I'm going to close with this, but I can remember years ago when I was in peer, and much like now how I pray for God to move, but I would be praying for God to move. Lord, move in this place. God, send revival. And I don't know why, but I, I, I visualize things, you know. I, I, in other words, I just get mental images. And I'm just getting this mental image as I'm praying. It's almost like this, this light coming down, this Shekinah uh, pillar of light coming down from heaven and just hitting the ground and spreading all over the area. Man, send revival, God. But how does God send revival? He doesn't do it. Th- he doesn't just send a shekinah light down from glory and it go around. Guess what? It comes through you and me. It comes through the church. It comes through the church. That's how God sends revival. That's how God heals the country. That's how God does the work. He does it through the local church, and that's why it's important that the local church be involved and active and salt and light in society. Uh, so thank God for the church. I sure do love it and uh, I could talk about it for hours, and you probably aren't surprised to hear that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to stop, and uh, and again, we'll uh, we'll be having, uh, we'll be kind of alternating and uh, back and forth on teachers throughout the